Welcome to Diplomacy, the podcast for communications in mergers and acquisitions, brought to you by Corporate Diplomat. With our guests, we will discuss how the financial, economic, political and social context can actually impact the value created by a transaction. My name is Louis de Schallemer and I will be your host. Alexander de Witt, welcome to Diplomacy. Great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. You're quite an outstanding profile and difficult to put into a box. So I have you today as the co-founder of Planet First, a 250 million fund dedicated to, in, to investments in, in sustainable consumer goods, technology. But I also have you as an entrepreneur, as a founder or multiple entrepreneur, multiple founder as a consultant, as an investor. So tell us, what has made who you are today? Well, that's, um, that's obviously um, a very difficult question to answer because so many people have given me, offered me the opportunity to, to grow, to learn, to feel loved, to pursue my path. Uh, but as there are moments in life that are really pivot moments. And I, I can think of one example, which took place when I was uh, 12 years old. I was in my last year and actually the last day of uh, five years of uh, being a scout. And I'd spent my five years pretty much trying to obtain all the badges, all the awards that were available from the best cook to the best guide with compass in the forest to name it. My sweater was full of batches and I wasn't very tall at that time. So I, I was, there was no room for more batches. I felt I had really accomplished something. And the head of the, of the crib to say goodbye told me, you know, it's, it's great what you've accomplished, but remember one thing in life. The real accomplishment is the positive impact you're having on others. And it was such a moment of truth. I will always be thankful for him saying that at that time. That sentence has stayed with me since. And, and he has had a significant impact on my life and the way I've made my decisions. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that one day I may have like, 1% impact at the level he had on me, on someone else, that would make me very happy. So that would be a great illustration, I think. Mm -hmm. that's, that's an interesting one. A scout. Are you still keeping this mindset of a scout, which is principally making uh, or leaving a better world than the one you found? That's, that's basically what you translate? That for sure, I think as a scout, you learn to connect with nature, to, to listen to nature, to value nature. But also the other side of it is that you learn the power of being together, the power of a team, the power of building on complementarity, the power of understanding different personalities and uh, building on the differences and creating dynamics that none of us individually would be able to create. And that's really, I think, also a major takeaway from that type of experience. 
if you translate that into into the world of of entrepreneurship but that you have seen evolve over the last couple of years what's different for entrepreneurs today and and what is different for investors today to me what we've just discussed about scouts applies to entrepreneurship and today even more than before the world is changing so fast so look at what we've experienced over the last year but also technology is accelerating the need to address the climate challenges uh, and their impact on our lives is more urgent than ever the increasing gap between those who have and those who don't have there's so many things that are making the world more volatile that to me more than ever before the successful entrepreneur is the person who can create a movement who can not just have a vision but create a movement bring people together as team members investors partners that all together allow for that vision to come true but also that gives them the agility to adapt to that changing world one person alone can't have all the answers and it's really through that understanding of how to build complementary teams but with a strong alignment on where you want to go and why the why is fundamentally important why are we fighting for this vision to me that you see the entrepreneurs that will make it and that will really have an impact my follow up question would have been how do you find the success in mergers and acquisitions so you know that diplomacy the dedicated focus is is around mergers and acquisitions but i would i would translate the creation of a movement and bringing people together into a definition of success in mergers and acquisition or do you see mna differently or is there something on top yes i think i think mna is a way of achieving a vision it's not a goal on its own uh, people who pursue mna with a goal of basically building skill for skill without a team shareholders partners who really see the why of this company versus another i mean platform strategies based on the acquisition of how as many units as possible to gain skill are accessible to anyone what makes a difference is that those that have a stronger story behind it a stronger purpose a stronger ability to get people to fight for that vision will be much better equipped to make mna successful because one they'll be more attractive to potential target companies to incorporate in the group and two the quality of the integration is going to be much stronger and three the success of the one you make you do today drives your positioning for the next one and therefore to me there's often a very strong focus on the spreadsheet side of mna which is fundamentally important because you need to get on top of the numbers but the reality of whether an mna strategy is going to be successful is so much driven by what's happening outside of the pure mna transaction itself and i feel that that is often underestimated 
And the key to the ones that succeed is definitely around that. I was illustrating this with an M&A, which is about a platform strategy where you, 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 you strive for scale. Uh, another example is large companies that realize that part of the innovation they need is very difficult to develop internally and decide to acquire a company that does have that type of track record. Well, the way, you know, in theory, that looks great. The spreadsheet shows that, you know, by bringing in that innovation in-house through the acquisition, you'll have a competitive advantage that you'll be able to build on, etc. But the way you're going to go about bringing in that entity, the degree of integration and autonomy that you're going to leave to that special culture that has generated the innovation is going to be a make or break in the success of your M&A. So that's another illustration of why I think that the understanding of the human factor, which is the last thing I would do would be to, to approach that as a soft topic. I think there's a lot of science that helps you understand how to navigate the human factor. And when you're very scientific about it, very, very rational about the way you deal with the human factor, you significantly increase the odds of conducting successful M&As. You mentioned the relevance of, of the why and that the why comes before the vision. What is the right order on developing the story, the narrative, the energy that you mentioned around a transaction? And to whom do you need to go first? Do you need to first go to your board? Do you first need to go to investors, employees, customers? How do you build this energy around the transaction? What I mean with the why is that it provides much stronger foundations to build an ambitious strategy, whether through M&A or not, but particularly in the context of M&A. There's a big difference between selling a technology to in a B2B technology that is, I'll take an example that I know about, that is an additive that allows you to biotransform plastic, which is great. It's even more powerful when the why that guides you is that you want to address the issue of 4 billion tons of plastic that are going to destroy nature as fugitive plastic by 2050 if you don't do anything about it. That why is what brings people to fight for it. That's the why that brings talent from around the world to want to work for that company. And then comes the vision of how you're going to do that. Now that vision may change over time because technology will keep evolving. The range of applications will evolve. The regulatory environment in different countries will evolve. So the vision as to where you end up in five years and 10 years from now may evolve. And you want it to be evolved. You want to be agile and to embrace what the world is going to offer you in terms of opportunities. But the why is the guiding force that makes you be able to to have that flexibility and agility. So when you'll be approaching M&A, for example, as a means to develop your company, if that's what you decide to do, you know, what you'll do is you'll, you'll have companies join that specific mission 
And that really creates, to me, a very strong foundation for MA. So, what sequence do you then take? I, I don't think there's a magic sequence. I think that uh, as a CEO, for example, you need that buy in from the team, you need buy in from, from the shareholders. But I would say mainly, your ability to successfully conduct an MA gets determined by what you've accomplished by the time you put an MA on the table. If you have created such a level of alignment and understanding among your boards, among your team, among your partners of why you're there and what's key to succeed, I think the discussion of an MA or no MA becomes a much easier one to have because when you think about which type of companies to look at, in what kind of sequence, why taking that risk, how it will all fit together, you have the foundations. If you just start with an MA angle, you will have a much more transactional discussion with shareholders worrying about dilution, shareholders worrying about potentially their board seat in the new merged organization. You have team members worrying about their position. You will have, there'll be much more of a personal read of whether this is a, a, a strategy that you feel comfortable with because the foundations won't be as strong. Alexander, this is worth a book, what you just said there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in the development of the transaction and the way how you approach it, and maybe in the way how you approach the business and, and running the business itself, how important are the, the, the values, people values? You mentioned earlier, okay, keeping the world or turning the world better than it was. I would say that are fundamental values of somebody where you would say, okay, Alexander would translate those values. But but how important are those values in, in the way you do business? To me, the values are fundamental because when you think about it, uh, just to illustrate, what you, you see sometimes with M&A is that the outcome is that a group becomes bigger and with the scaling comes in some circumstances, the perception among key members of the team that they're losing the culture that made them want to join, that the company is reaching a size and a way of operating that they, they don't relate to the same way they did initially. They're not as connected with the leaders. They have the impression that there's much more structure put in place, more processes, less autonomy, less of those, those key things that they were looking for initially. So when thinking about M&A, one of the important angles is to say, what are the things while scaling that we want to keep at the core of what we stand for? because they are important, because they are at the basis of what drives our success, drives our team members to wake up every morning to want to fight for the company. Now, the way you will put them in place in a large organization may be different, but there's a big, big difference between scaling and losing the entrepreneurial drive that may be at the core of your initial success and a company that has its skills, maintains and actually reinforces 
the entrepreneurial culture within the company. And some are really good at that. For example, from an organizational perspective, an M&A strategy often leads to moving towards a matrix organization with, I don't know, geography, functional, and you kind of end up making people feel they're in departments. And some organizations manage to bring the squat culture. What I mean with squat culture is that notion of we are working across the organization. There are, there are strategic projects they all work on together. They can take initiatives that have an impact across the board. There's this additional organizational angle that brings the kind of culture that they liked when the company was smaller, while at the same time ensuring the company is manageable when you go from a few hundred to a few thousand people. So, and that's just on the organizational design. My main point is same way for other values. If part of your values initially was, I don't know, no politics, and you really mean it, what do you do proactively to signal that with the new, the 2.0 group post-acquisition or post-merger, that will still drive the way you will manage the company, you will manage reward, and you will manage careers. So values are not the ones you write down on paper. They're the ones, the way I define values, by the way, is if a friend joins you at the company, you're having lunch with your friend on day one as he's joining, what are you telling him or her as to how to be successful in this company? Those are your values. And those are the only ones that truly live in your organization. And so the more you grow, the more attention you need to pay to them, particularly when looking at M&A, where by nature you're bringing together different cultures, different set of values. And everyone will be watching for the signals as to what the new set of values is going to be. So if you don't manage them, they'll be managed for you. And they will determine the dynamics and the value you get out of the M&A. I would say all of my guests in this podcast share the approach about the human value and the aspects that go beyond the spreadsheet. Yet, why is it so difficult to talk? And you said it's not about soft skills, it's about science, social science, but science. It can be behavioral economics. But why is it so difficult to include the human aspect in business or in a transaction. Because when you talk to people, everybody agrees and they say, oh yeah, well, you're right. We see this the same way. And yet mo many of our organizations start getting very structured and do not allow for emotions to have their spot. Why is that so difficult? It's a great question. Um, I'm sure I don't have the answer actually. I, I, I have a few points that I have observed. I think that as a leader, to be able to approach the human dimension of a business starts with yourself. It starts with a very high level of self-awareness and humility. Because if you really know yourself and if you're open to your own limits, it will be much easier for you, first of all, to build a team around you with individuals that are better than you. And by the way, that's what you need to grow. Two, to invite others to do the same thing. 
and to open up to their own limits. If you as a leader are always showing yourself as you think you should be seen versus, you know, the way you sometimes feel about certain situations and open up to the discussion and, and dare to ask for help on certain topics, I think you're basically role modeling what the rest of your organization are going to do. And I think that many of the leadership skills that are needed in such a fast changing world, I mean, let's face it, at 30 in a tech driven world, you're old. And so unless you're the best facilitator of tech talent that helps you remain extremely competitive in the market because you're basically enabling that talent. So forget the leader who knows everything. Forget the leader that is always coming with answers. I think we're well beyond that, but not, not we, we've been for a long time, but more so in the years to come. So, you know, when, when wondering why, why it's difficult for members of your team to open up to mistakes they make, to their own limits, to their worries, look at the mirror, wonder to what extent you're doing it. The second thing is there are moments of truth. And those moments of truth dictate to what extent you walk the talk. If you say that one of your values is teamwork and a fantastic member of your team in terms of financial performance is just at the opposite in terms of behavior, the way you'll deal with that person will determine to what extent those values are important or not. So it takes a lot of courage to manage the human factor because it will, if you're not able one day to make a tough decision regarding someone who may deliver on your bottom line, but may not deliver on what you say is important for the future of the company in terms of what it stands for, it says something about what drives the human factor and the rules of the game in your company. Three, I think that the level of training of the average member of a company and of a leadership team on how humans really operate, what is stress? How do you deal with stress? How can you help someone make better decisions? Is extremely low. And I mean this in the positive sense of the word. There are concrete opportunities to teach people how to make better decisions with very simple tricks or how to manage stress, which by the way, increases the quality of decision-making, improves team dynamics, well-being at work, and has only positive benefits, right? So they're very concrete tricks. And there was an experience that was uh, conducted a while back with the elite pilots of the French army, they taught them a few tricks on how to manage decision-making with really very easy tools. And they decreased the number of mistakes by a factor of six. That does apply to companies too. So let's stop considering the human factor as a soft, complex, and kind of intangible topic, let's approach it with the same rigor we apply to our financial models. Would be an invitation, comma, and let's start with ourselves, would be my second invitation. 
You mentioned the word courage. How much courage does it take to pull the plug in a transaction? Sometimes the machine starts, the consultants, the bankers, the investors. So there is a pressure, there is a machine getting started and people share ideas. And when you are sitting at the table and you feel like something doesn't fit or it's not the right thing to do, how much courage does it take and what is the right way to pull the plug? Well, provided that you think you're right <laughs> and you can demonstrate it. <laughs> it's, it's a very, it's a very um, timely question for me because I, we recently did so. There was a transaction. We, we pursue impact investments. So we look at, indeed, the financial, financial profitability, but we also look at the impact, societal impact the business is going to have. And if, it, if that is not tangible enough, we will not invest. And we found out as part of a long, expensive, intense due diligence that the impact wasn't tangible enough in our eyes for us to feel strong enough about the investment, while the financial picture looked very attractive. Those are very difficult moments, but those are moments of truth. Those are the moments where you determine what you'll stand for. It takes courage. And we went ahead and said, no, we, we went ahead and made sure that we were consistent with what our investment thesis and our values are. So we did not pursue the investment. And I feel today, like a couple of months later, that it has already made us, that we are already benefiting from having said no, because it reinforces the unity of the team around the vision. It reinforces the ability to say a real yes when it's a real yes. Now, that's easy to say a couple of months later. How do you do that? I obviously don't have the secret uh, recipe, but I, I think that one of the things that helps is to manage your, your, the human brain. And for example, to take a moment and project yourself into not the transaction, but what will happen after the transaction. What will happen in the short term, in the medium term, and in the long term? Put yourself two years down the road and look back at it and try and project the dynamics that will result out of the transaction. And the more you're able to pull yourself out of the transaction, to project yourself into the post-transaction in different time horizons, is a very useful, very useful exercise. The more you stay in the mental aspect of your brain versus listening to the more fundamental perceptions, but also instinct at that stage about some of the things that will naturally happen once you have signed, the more you will open up a discussion that is the real discussion to have. By the way, it's like with sports people too. I mean, they've, they, they win competitions because they've, been, they've lost others. And, and if you turn a loss, which is a transaction you don't do, into a victory, and you see it as a positive achievement to 
to have been able to say no. And you, you, you really emphasize that as part of the team, congratulating them for not just the work, but the ability to come to a no, the energy, the power that comes out of that is unstoppable. Alexander, I, I usually close the show was asking the question a piece one piece of advice but basically i have the impression this was a full package of advices and oh. recommendations <laughs> and thoughts <laughs> what i would like to take from this alexander is is your first thought and i, I really wrote that down is that mna a transaction is not a goal in itself it's part of a of a bigger something The second one is that once you're in the transaction, and we discussed this in several steps, is basically to keep your head out of the transaction. Yes, you need to follow up. You need to follow up on the spreadsheets. You need to add up the things. And yet, if you really want to look through and make sure that the transaction provides the right value and is aligned with where you want the business to go, you need to keep the head out of out of the transaction, at least from time to time. And the third one, and which comes back to what you said at the very beginning, is that a transaction, a deal, entrepreneurship is not something that an individual does on her or his own. It is the team, it is the collective spirit, it is the alignment of individuals, of the values, of the vision, which builds this, this right energy. So now you have a last word. <laughs> uh, well my last word would be to say maybe two things one thank you for this initiative i think it's great to be able to to benefit from the experiences of different people and 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 initiating a dialogue and exchange of experiences among people who have had different experiences in m a is is a fantastic initiative so Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to participate and to, to share my personal experience. And, um, and uh, I really encourage you to, to continue this initiative. And then the second thing would simply be that I, I guess I'll just share a guiding principle that I have found extremely powerful, whether on an M&A deal or on other decisions. I have found that one should never do something one can't explain to his or her children because you will always speak in an authentic way with your children. You will not make up things. You won't kind of try and convince them. You want them to understand and to be, to benefit from the experience of what you're explaining and what you're doing and what you're deciding and how you're deciding. And so they are a fantastic, a fantastic partner to guide decision-making. And I would never do something that I would not be able to explain to my children. Thank you, Alexander. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for joining us in this episode. And um, hopefully we get the opportunity to, to talk to each other very soon again. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Diplomacy. Please explore our website www.corporate-diplomat.com 
or our LinkedIn page. I hope you have enjoyed. Feel free to subscribe and hit the follow button. Have a great day.